Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. invite you to join with us this morning to the Holy Spirit as we just lift up and praise and worship of you Lord that you would just find it pleasing in your sight as we celebrate your presence as we express our love to you and Lord as we submit to your Lordship Lord may you come and meet us in a mighty way this morning we were above all creatures without hope left to our own devices we do only what is right in our own eyes Yet your word warns that every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. The psalmist also warns that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seek after God, yet they have all turned aside. And together with all humanity we have become corrupt For there is no one who does good, not even one. Romans tells us that we have been judged and declared guilty and deserving of the penalty of sin, which is death. However, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and even though we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power air, Satan and his legions, and lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, God, who being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. In doing so, he raised us up with him, and he rooted us and seated us with him in the heavenly places. You have done this for us, that in the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of your grace and kindness towards us found in your Son. For we have been saved by grace through faith, and it's not of our own doing. It's been a gift of God, not a result of one iota of any of our works, so that no one may boast. And not only have you given us this gift, but you have also made us your workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Knowing this wonderful truth, we gladly rejoice when your gospel is shared among all peoples, regardless of gender, race, economic, and social status. We join with the psalmist who writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Knowing this, we commit this morning to sharing your gospel with all that come into our lives. We commit this morning to give generously and sacrificially and cheerfully in order that the gospel may be spread throughout peoples of every nation, of every tongue, and every tribe. And if need be, Lord, change our hearts. Expose any hardness, any reluctance, and any fear that would keep us from proclaiming the good news that Jesus saves. In the name of Christ, the one who has earned our salvation and our righteousness, we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
Join with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 2 as we continue on in the Gospel of Mark, the Jesus, the Son of Man. Last week's passage describes the persistence of some friends as they seek to help a man that was suffering from paralysis. And it was the beginning of Jesus' conflict with the scribes and also Jesus' authority over sins. We learn that God encourages and blesses those that are persistent in their prayers and that Jesus knows what we truly need. We also saw the importance in reading and knowing the Scriptures while finding encouragement in the fact that Jesus heals completely, both physically and spiritually. Amen? Amen. And I pray that you've seen that this week. In this week's passage, we read of the second incident of conflict between Jesus and the scribes. Last week's conflict was Jesus forgiving sin. This week's conflict is they're going to complain about Jesus eating with sinners as we look at breaking bread and sharing the gospel found in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Read silently along with me as I read out loud. He went out again, speaking of Jesus, beside the sea, and all the crowds were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors sinners. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Father, I find myself in that passage, for I too am a sinner. And I thank you, Lord, that you have called us out, as many here who proclaim you and have submitted to your Lordship. And I pray that you'd open up your word through the Holy Spirit, that we may see it afresh Uh, Familiar stories, let me see it as new. Open our spiritual ears and eyes to see your truth. Lord, let your spirit not be quenched and let me speak words that are edifying. And let us tell the difference between your words and man's mere opinions. And Lord, may you direct us through your spirit once again to respond as you have seen fit. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. As we read last week, Jesus is teaching the crowds. Mark has emphasized that Jesus was dedicated to the task of teaching. When Jesus told his disciples, let us go into the next town, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Miracles and healings all came with the territory, but teaching of the gospel was paramount. His message was simple, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come, follow me. Mark records that Jesus here is teaching while walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're following him. He's continuing on his business, using that moment as teaching moments. When he finally comes upon the tax booth of Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now the Gospel of Matthew identifies Levi as Matthew. He becomes one of the twelve apostles, while both in Mark refer to him as Levi. Levi probably changed his name to Matthew after becoming a disciple of Christ as Matthew means gift of Yahweh. And we're going to see God gives him a great gift. 
Levi, and I'm going to refer to him as Levi from this point on, since the passage does, but just so you know, that's synonymous there with Matthew. Levi was a Jewish tax collector for Herod. Tax collectors, as you well know, were hated by the Jews who considered them as traitors for Rome. Tax collectors would buy the right to collect taxes. It was a franchise. It was like McDonald's. You would buy that right. And they were notorious for extorting money or extorting more than what was required. It was a way to get wealth, to get rich. They became very wealthy. Matthew and Zacchaeus were some of the most infamous tax collectors in scriptures who both repented of their sins and chose to follow Jesus. It was probably a booth that collected taxes along the toll road from Damascus through Capernaum that went along the Mediterranean Sea and then probably ended somewhere near Egypt. So it was a trail in which merchants would follow. Upon coming upon Levi's booth, he commands Levi to leave it all and follow him. And it seems Mark says he does, as three of the Gospels share with us. Forsaking his franchise, forsaking his job, and forsaking the source of security, he gets up and he obeys. Most likely he had heard Jesus before and was already under conviction and needed this personal invitation to make a choice, but that's subjective. We just know that he hears and he follows and obeys. Mark now moves the scene to a gathering at a house for dinner. Now Luke informs us that the dinner was held at Levi's house and that he had gathered his friends to meet and hear Jesus. Again, very similar to the story of Zacchaeus. As Zacchaeus said, when he was up in a tree, hurry down, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Like that man of short stature, Levi warmly welcomes Jesus to his home to meet his friends. We see a man who is excited and not ashamed of who Jesus is. He took this personal invitation as a reason and as an opportunity to say, hey, come here, I want you to meet someone. Something's happened in my life. We do that, right? There's engagement, we get, a, we get accepted to a school or so, we get a job or something like that. We want to tell our friends, and this is no different. It just has a greater significance. And now Mark introduces us to a new set of characters. Last week we saw the scribes. This week we see the scribes of the Pharisees, probably the same group, but he now identifies them a little bit more as scribes, as leaders, experts of the law that were to the Pharisee set. Now, the ESV Study Bible writes that the Pharisees were a relatively small but highly influential group of Jews who emphasized meticulous observance of God's law as they understood the Old Testament and as an interpreted through their extra-biblical traditions. They followed them to the very letter. They did this as a means for which they believed one would attain righteousness or be made right with God and retains God's favor. So they were legalists in every sense of the word. They had everything parsed down. If you were to walk on the Sabbath, you couldn't do any work. You could walk this far and then you'd have to stop. And then you could walk this far and then you'd have to stop. They were the splitting hair lawyers. That's what they would do. They were guilty of self-righteousness 
which fueled their pride and gave them a sense of superiority over others, especially those that they disagreed with or disagreed with them. And as we shall see in Scripture, even in Mark, they become the major opponents of Christ's ministry. Well, in this passage, we see Jesus and his disciples are enjoying an incredible time of fellowship and breaking of bread at Levi's house. Now, the scribes were not invited to this dinner, nor would they have accepted an invitation if one was given. They could not believe Jesus was sitting and having dinner with those that they considered sinners. Now, tax collectors were not even allowed to attend the synagogue. These were people who were outside of the synagogue and of the law. To eat with them would to make one unclean, just as touching one with leprosy would make one unclean. So for them, for Jesus and disciples to be in there, that would make Jesus unclean and unable to attend the synagogue and the temple. To recline at table with others indicated a very personal acceptance and friendship. The story that we're seeing here that's unfolded is something that's a little bit more intimate and special than just let's get together for some tea. To the Pharisees, this was not only unlawful, but it was a serious breach of decorum for someone of Jesus' stature. Typically, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, the scribes questioned in their sinful character and hearts to the disciples and asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The term sinners here describes those who refuse to follow Mosaic law as interpreted by the Pharisees. They would never consider themselves as sinners or any of their kind. The sinners were those that were outside of the sect. In verse 17, Jesus uses simple logic to answer the complaint. When he says, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. And he gives his purpose when he says, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. When in essence he's saying, a doctor tends to the sick, not to those that are well. And a savior tends to sinners, not to those that consider themselves righteous. What you see in this passage is three views of how people view people. Three ways in which people view others. The first one, if you're taking notes, we see how Jesus saw men as men in need of a Savior. When He saw them, He did not see sinners and tax collectors and people who couldn't be touched, but He saw men and women that needed a Savior. D.A. Carson observes that Jesus' essential ministry, the forgiveness of sins, meant that He came to call the despised and disgusting elements of society. He didn't come for the rich and the clean and those who thought themselves well. John Calvin, going a little bit back further into church history, says that Christ came to quicken the dead, to justify the guilty and the condemned, to wash those who were polluted and full of wickedness, to rescue the lost from hell, to clothe with His glory those who were covered with shame, to renew those who were debased by disgusting vices. Jesus did not see tax collectors and sinners in the way the Pharisees saw them. He saw them as men who were needing a Savior. He had compassion. And I would challenge you, how do you view? Do you view the same way that Jesus views them? 
Or do you see those people as people who are interruptions? People who just ask for too much, dirty, not worth it. Or people who deserve what they get. So Jesus saw men in need of a Savior. And then we get a view of Levi. Levi saw a man who was worth introducing to his friends. Whatever it was that drew Levi to Jesus, whether it was his teaching, his miracles, or his gracious spirit, or just something about his person, it was important to him to introduce those he cared about to Jesus. Not only did he forsake all to follow Jesus, but he wanted his friends to follow suit. So when he saw Jesus, he didn't see someone who was breaking decorum, who was breaking the law. He saw Jesus as someone that his friends needed to meet. Do you see Jesus that way? Or do you see Jesus as one of those things that you kind of keep as a secret? You know, my faith is personal. It's private. It's just something between him and I. It's something I pull out on Sunday mornings, I do, and then I get over with. Levi saw a man worth introducing to his friends. And the third view that we see here is the Pharisees. And this is the worst of all. For the scribes saw nothing but despicable tax collectors and sinners, not even worth eating with. The Pharisees had a judgmental spirit and a self-righteous attitude. Remember, it's not that the scribes were righteous, they just considered themselves to be. They were prime examples of the danger and the power that delusions of self-righteousness has. When you have delusions of self-righteousness, it compels you to deny one's need of a Savior, to deny the teachings and the ministries of Christ, and deny that all people are made in the image of God. That's what happens when you delude yourself into thinking that you are okay and that you have no need of a Savior. You begin to classify people into those types of things. And this is what the scribes were doing. It's not only that they did not want a Savior, it's that they believed they did not need a Savior. That's the kind of people that the scribes are. Now you and I fall in that category probably at one time in our lives. But by the glory of God, He introduced Himself to us, opened our hearts, and we, like Levi, responded to Him. If you're here today and you have not yet responded to the call of Christ, I would call you to do so today. For He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is hand. Come, follow Me. And I would implore you, would you do so today? Do not wait. Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. You see, the scribes trusted in their ability to follow the law as they interpreted it. And we find many people who want to take God's word and interpret it in their way. Why? Because it's easier to follow. We want God made in our image. We want a Savior made in our image. We want a Bible made in our image. And then that makes us feel good about ourselves. We deny the ministry and works of Christ. And then we look at others and deny them an access to a Savior that they truly need. But they trust in their ability to follow the law as they interpreted it to make them right with God. But as you and I know, as we studied the letter of Galatians, it tells us that the law proved the futility 
of making one righteous by obedience. There's not one of us that can make ourselves right with God by obeying the law, by obeying the law of Christ or the law of Moses. For Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that there is none righteous, no, not one. He says no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside and together we have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's not my words, it's the words of the Almighty Yahweh, the Lord, the Father who looks down upon heaven and laughs at our foolishness of us trying to make ourselves right and holy before God without Him. You see, the important truth, the most important truth that you must discover, the one that you must share with your children, the one that you must share with others, is that you have a need of a Savior. Without that, every scientific discovery, every geographical discovery, every discovery that we may make is worthless if we never discover our need of a Savior. Amen? Not just us, but everyone has a need of a Savior. Our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, even those that are untouchable and have leprosy of the soul, the unlovely, the down and out, the rich, the poor, the haves, the have-nots, we are all in need of a Savior. So let me ask you, how do you view people today? What view do you have? Do you see people as in need of a Savior? Do you see Jesus as a man worth introducing to your friends and the ones you love? Do you see people as not as images of God? Do you see them as having worth, made in the image of God, in need of a Savior? Or has your own sense of self-righteousness and self-worth blinded you to reality? Has your self-worth and self-righteousness deluded you into denying the need of a Savior, the teaching and ministry of Christ, and that all people are made in the image of God? I would ask yourselves to truly ask that of yourselves this morning. Look in the mirror and say, how do I view people? How do I view Jesus? And do I need a Savior? There's three lessons that you and I need to learn from this passage of Scripture. And I think this is the problem. For Levi, when he found Jesus, he left it all and followed Him. Some of you have done that. Some of you are still within that debate of your own mind. Is Jesus worth leaving all and following? Let me tell you, He is. Scripture says, taste and see that God is good. Scripture tells us there is no other name under heaven given by men whereby we must be saved. It's not in the name of Buddha. It's not in the name of Muhammad. It's not the name of anything else but Jesus Christ. It's not the name of a church. It's not the name of a pastor, but in Jesus Christ. Only Him do we have salvation. And in that, are we inviting our friends? Are we introducing Him to people who that matter to us? Do we view people as in need of a Savior? There's three lessons to learn. The first one is Christians must learn a profound gratitude for the salvation that's been offered them. I think this is where you and I fall short, is we have not learned the profound gratitude for the salvation that's been offered. To be honest, many of us think we deserve it. We've taken it for granted. We have it's mine. 
I got mine, now you go get yours. As we come to know our depravity and sin, it should bring us to a deeper understanding of God's grace. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he's saying this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners. Amen? He says, of whom I am the foremost or the chiefest. I am the biggest. I am the number one sinner. However, we don't always see ourselves in that way. But yet if we truly look in the mirror, we know that it's true. Scottish pastor Bill Hughes tells us that we should never forget the debt to mercy we owe. Why do we not extend mercy and the Savior to others? Is because we do not forgive them mercy because we forgot the mercy that's been given to us. For we were tax collectors. We were sinners. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We are worthy objects of God's wrath. Do you have a profound sense and gratitude for the salvation that has been offered? It is free, yes, but it did come at a high cost and a high price. Second thing that you and I must learn is we must learn from Christ's example. We will not develop a self-righteous attitude, but compassion for even the worst of sinners. When we hold up Christ and mimic Him, as Paul said, mimic me as I mimic Christ, as I mimic God, imitate me as I imitate God. He says we will not develop a self-righteous attitude, but compassion for even the worst of sinners. As Jesus looked upon the crowd as a sheep having no shepherd, He had compassion on them. He had compassion on the text collectors and the sinners. Why? For they were the ones in need of tending. They were the ones who needed His care. It was the man with leprosy who He touched. The one who could not be touched, He touches. To the man who's let down by his friend, who doesn't have enough faith, but his friends do, He commands him not only to walk, but also to forgive him of his sins, completely giving him healing. We should have the same attitude that Luke records of Jesus and the angels when he says, I tell you, there shall be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous person who needs no repentance. Let me ask you, do you rejoice in the salvation of those that are unlike you? Do you desire the salvation of those unlike you? And you may say yes, but what are you doing about it? We're looking for someone else to do it. We're hoping someone else comes to do it. The scripture says you're to do it. You have the greatest circle of friends and family and co-workers. Have you learned from Christ's example? And the third lesson for us to learn is the immense hope in this passage there is immense hope in this passage for the person who would love and like to follow Christ but does not feel good enough. I believe that Matthew could have came up with a hundred different reasons why he could not follow Christ. And if he was at a loss for words, I am sure that there were enough scribes and others who would tell him and tick off. 
you can't invite Matthew. You should invite Matthew. You should invite his friends. They're not worth it, Jesus. You're wasting your time. And Matthew probably was a man, even though he was wealthy and had other wealthy friends, understood what others thought of him. Matthew was not a man, as he walked through, that everyone would say, Oh, look at it, it's Matthew, it's Levi. Hey, man, it's good to see you. As you're walking down with your hard-earned produce and goods, you would be walking, then you'd see Matthew. And all of a sudden, you would say, Oh, man, i got to give him all. How much is it more is he going to want? It could be up to his whims. He had soldiers and others to exact whatever price he felt that he wanted to take. I'm sure Levi didn't feel he was good enough. But when Jesus said, come, follow me, he did. If you and I were honest with ourselves, we don't feel good enough either. Maybe there's someone in your life that you know that is struggling with the same thing. Jesus has said, come, follow me, but yet they feel, I can't. They feel that they have to do some more good works to be able to be accepted by Christ. But let me tell you, that's the whole point. We need to repent of dead works and turn and trust in Christ. For He wants you. He loves you. He desires you. The truth is, is if you feel good enough for Jesus, listen to this. If the truth is, if you feel good enough for Jesus, guess what? He doesn't want you. He hasn't come for you. He came for the sick. He came for the sinners. He forgives and He transforms this. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Why did Jesus not go to the synagogue and the scribes and Herod and knock at their door and says, Give me a hearing at court. Let me go to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. Why didn't he go into the temple and say, let me share with you who I am? Because they didn't want him. They didn't need him. They felt that they had it all together. They were deluded. Would not hear his message. Please, I pray today, if you hear today, if you're here today, and you feel like you do not need Jesus, that you can get to heaven on your own merits, let me tell you that you're without hope in your own works and your own goodness. Joseph Hart, in this wonderful hymn, writes, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and prayer. He is at your power, He is able, He is willing. Doubt no more. We are all in need of a Savior. Jesus came not for the rich, did not come for, excuse me, did not come for those that were righteous, to those that are, that are well, but He came for those that were in need of a Savior. So let me ask you this morning, what is your view of sinners? What's your view of Jesus? And what's your view of your friends and family? Do you welcome repentant sinners? The Bible says you should. And what I love about this story is Matthew invited them to his house. He understood the importance of hospitality, not only inviting Jesus and his disciples and giving them a place at his table, but also bringing his family and his friends. Scripture speaks much about hospitality in evangelism and discipleship. 
And this is where I want to end because I want to challenge you. If you view people as people in need of a Savior, if you view people as in need of, 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 of a physician, then you need to invite them to meet Jesus. And the best way to do that is through hospitality. Many times you going at a door, and I don't know if any of you ever went cold door knocking. There was a, you know, when I grew up, that's what we did every Saturday. You just went and knocked on a door. Not the greatest reception most of the time, just as you and I don't like it. It's not a big thing to do. We have to earn the right many times to speak to them, do we not? Many times to those that are hungry and hurting, we need to fill their belly and heal their hurting before we can get an audience with them. And scripture tells us hospitality is the key. Matthew learned that. There's an importance in hospitality and evangelism and discipleship. That's why we as a church want to go the extra mile in inviting people in. And I want to challenge you, it's time for you and I to open up our homes and our hearts to those that are in need of Christ. For I find many are not going to accept Christ through a message, but they're going to accept Christ through a personal invitation many times at a home. My mom accepted Jesus Christ kneeling at the toilet in her house because it was the only quiet place she could get from four rambling boys. Why? Because someone invited and said, hey, we want to tell you about Christ. Romans 12.3 says, contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for some have entertained angels in doing so. First Peter tells us, show hospitality to one with another. In Romans, he says, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? For it's in that way, many times, God will bring them to us. We need to love them. We need to eat with them. We need to encourage them. We need to teach them about Jesus. Amen? That's what people need. And our view of Jesus will be shown in how we show hospitality. Here's the thing that I want to challenge you today. If you're entertaining your friends, if you're playing and watching sports and interacting with your friends, if you're just having fun with them and you're not talking about Jesus, then you are not doing enough. You are just sending them an expressway to hell. And I know that sounds harsh, but let me tell you, we've taken this thing and says, well, I have this and I have my Christian life. I can't let these two things mesh. Let me give you a Greek word for this. You want to write it down? It's the same in Latin. It's called hogwash. It's not true. For we must invite Christ into all of our lives, into every area of our influence. Let me ask you, do you invite Jesus into your friendships? Or are your friendships just for entertaining and for doing things and Jesus never gets mentioned except as a cuss word, as an exclamation point when you're angry or surprised? I think many of us are guilty of that. Having friendships, we never share Christ. You say, how did I do that? That's scary. Do what Matthew does. Do what Levi here does. Tell them you're a Christian. Tell them what it means to be a Christian. Tell them how you became a Christian. Invite them to church. Do this in the everyday life of living with others. Open up your hearts. Open up your homes. 
to any and all. God does not say you just need to reach these people. He tells everyone that comes into our sphere of influence is a God-ordained moment. Be ready with a track. Be ready with a smile. Be ready with encouraging words. Share with them Jesus. That Jesus may be glorified and they may see the great mercy that He's extending to every people of every tribe, nation, and tongue. Come, follow me. Some will, and some won't. You may gain some friends, and you may gain brothers and sisters in Christ and spend eternity together. But I will warn you that it will cost you some friendships. It will cost you some relationships. But the cost is worth it to share with them the one who truly knows what they need and can heal them from their real, true spiritual disease. Father, we come before you this morning, and I thank you for your word. For I find myself guilty of this very same thing, living life, doing life with people, and never once viewing them as sinners in need of a Savior. We, I don't view you as someone that needs to be introduced to them. And there are times in my life, Father, I will admit that I see people as unloving, as uncaring, or someone that I just don't want to get involved with. Lord, that is not scriptural. That is the, not the heart and the mind of a Christian. So we repent of that this morning. If anyone here is struggling with that, send your spirit to give us a love. It says, let our love be genuine. Let it be so. It tells us to show honor to others. And let us do so by loving them, by inviting them into our lives, and then earning the right to introduce them to the one who could save them. Father, we pray for the salvation of our loved ones, of our family, our friends, our co-workers. Father, our neighbors. Lord, let no one hear anything but Jesus saves, that Jesus loves, that Jesus cares. I never want to go to heaven and stare across the throne in judgment day and see a friend or family enter into eternity without you, pointing a finger back saying, you never told me. You never told me. Thank you for showing us great mercy. Thank you for the story of Levi. In three scriptures, you show what it means to come and follow you and to bring others with us. Strengthen us to do that this morning. Give us the courage. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.